Welcome to the Abundant Life Podcast. This is Pastor Derry. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees come to Jesus to try to trick him into making a statement about whether or not Jewish people should pay taxes to the Roman government. But instead of being tricked into making a political statement, Jesus discerned the trap and provided them and us with a deeper understanding of the real question that we should be asking. And that is, how do we live and honor the two systems that we all live in, the systems of men and the kingdom of God? The truth is that every believer is on a journey of faith, and there are many times when our ability to really understand the kingdom of God is impacted by the imprint that our human and earthly systems have made on our lives. In today's message, we continue our series titled The Journey in the area of kingdom supply with a message titled, What is in Your House? Listen in, take notes, and I'll talk to you at the end of the podcast. Amen. Hallelujah. Open your Bibles to Matthew 22. We're going to not re not re-preach our message from last week, but we want to put you in the mindset. And I told you last week, I'm going to keep hammering certain things until I see what God wants me to see. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We're going to push you into faith. Amen. Amen. When I was a kid, my father took me, I never had a swimming lesson before. My father took me to this, this swimming pool in Long Beach. And so we're at the swimming pool and me and my brothers are, sl- my, well, my brother's close to me. We splashing around in, this, in the short part of the water. My, son, my father says, son, I want you to watch me. I'm going to go up on the high dive. And my father went up on the high dive and, and my father was, he's over the top and everything. He can't, he can't just do nothing halfway. He's, you know, he went up there and he went to Went to do his, his whole thing, and he did his, his dive in, came down, you know. So then he comes up, he says, son, now you're going to go up there with me. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going up there. I can't half swim. My father made me go up on that high dive, and my father made me jump in the water. So I jumped down in there, and I splashed around, and I survived. Amen. I didn't... I didn't, I didn't perish, amen. I survived it. But then after I made it, then I wanted to go back up there again. And then I went up there and I, I just, then I just dived in, right? And after a couple of times, next thing I know, I'm, I'm up there trying to be my daddy up there. I'm up there doing my, <laughs> I'm doing my thing, amen. But I had to be pushed into faith. I had to be pushed into believing that I could do something I did not believe that I could do. And so sometimes God orders your circumstances and puts you in situations in life where you don't want to jump. And God is saying, no, you're going to jump. And he, he puts you in a situation where you have no choice but to jump. And then when you jump and you survive, you say, oh man, I can do it again. Because faith is not growing. See, we think our faith grows. Your faith doesn't grow. Your faith is actually turning. See, each one has been given a measure of faith. We have all been given faith. We live every day by faith. We do things all the time by faith. You get in your car by faith. You turn your key by faith. You believe it's going to start and you turn it. You slip, flip, hit your light switch by faith. You don't know how it works, but you believe it will work. And you do it expecting a result every time. 
And just because you did it once or twice doesn't mean it requires faith to go do it again. Because this is what happened when recently we had blackouts from our electrical company. People stopped going to the switch. Because <laughs> it was never the switch you had faith in. What you actually had faith was that PG&E was supplying power to the switch. And when you knew or thought PG&E was no longer sending power, you stopped going to the switch. Amen? Faith is the substance of things you are hoping for, but it is the evidence of what you cannot see. It is your evidence of what you cannot see or explain. But faith is what makes you go to the switch and flip the switch. And when faith is not there, you don't bother. Amen. Amen. So in Matthew 22, the Pharisees do not believe in Jesus. They don't believe him. They see something's different about him, but to believe in him means they have to give away something they don't want to give away. And that is religious authority. See, they had a position of a religious, of religious authority respected by all, but to believe that Jesus came from God means that they may not have. And because of social positioning, because where they believed they were positioned in their community, they would not accept Jesus because he didn't come the same route as them. And if we start accepting this carpenter as a rabbi, then who else is going to raise up and call themselves a rabbi? And pretty soon we're not going to be in business because we're in the business of oppression and he's in the business of calling people free. <laughs> Amen. So Matthew 22, here come the Pharisees trying to trick Jesus up. Verse 36 says, teacher, am I in the right one where I want to be? I'm on verse 15. I'm too far ahead. I'm about to give you another Pharisee issue. Amen. Verse 15, Matthew 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. They said, we got to stop Jesus from talking. He's talking things that we don't want to hear. He's talking things that don't agree with our religious system. Never mind he keeps bringing up passages of scripture to quote. <laughs> Never mind he keeps quoting Isaiah and quoting the, quoting the, the, uh, the, the law. Uh, never mind all that. We don't like what he's saying. So we got to trip him up in his talk. And they sent to him and they sent to him their disciples. The Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true. So they got to compliment him first. We know that you're true and you teach the way of God in truth. <laughs> Look at these words here. I mean, this, we know that you are true and that you teach the word of God in truth. But we don't like what you're saying. <laughs> They started up saying, we got to trip him up in his talk. So they sent people to, to actually compliment him that they believe in him when they don't. Nor do you care about anyone. <laughs> in other words, Jesus, you talk the same no matter who's in the room. Amen. Chief priests come, you talk the same. 
People who don't know God come, you talk the same. You don't regard anybody. For you do not regard the person of men. Saints, we have to be very cautious about spiritual pride. Because spiritual pride will make us start to look at people differently who we're not supposed to look at differently. Spiritual pride will make us change our language or change our messages or change things because we don't view people the same. When God doesn't call us to change our message, he calls us to sometimes extend our hands to people. He calls us sometimes to walk out of our own personal comfort zones in order to reach people. But he doesn't call us to change our message. And sometimes we change our message to bring condemnation on people because we, want pe we feel like people have to feel condemned in order to come to God. So in many years, the church started preaching fire and brimstone and hell and damnation to scare people into Jesus. I was scared for a little while. <laughs> Somebody told me God was going to strike me down if I said something. And I sat for a while and I said it again to see if he was. <laughs> yeah, I moved away from that spot though, right? <laughs> Just to see. But when I found out God didn't strike me down, it didn't make me run to God. It made me act a fool. <laughs> it liberated me because now I know God, God's not going to strike me down. So now I can just go live, live like hell. So instead of preaching the truth, we preached what we wanted to preach. Amen. God's desire is to bring people to salvation. God's desire that men and women would know his love. And the word tells us that it is by loving kindness that I have drawn thee. Not by hell and damnation. Amen. People need to know that there's a real hell. People need to know that there's unfortunate ways that we can miss God. But they need to know it from a love perspective and not a condemnation perspective. Amen. So they tried to trip him up. You don't regard the person of men. You don't care what anybody says. You say the same thing all the time. Next verse. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Very important thing to understand here in their culture. The Jewish culture had its own way of doing things, but they were in captivity. They were under an occupation. So this occupation was that first the Greeks came in and they took over Jerusalem and they were under Greek rule. And then the Greeks got driven out by the Romans and the Romans came in and the Romans established rule over Israel. And so now here it is, the Romans are in charge and Caesar is the king of the Romans or the governor of the Romans. And so he say, they say here, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? In other words, if you are a Jew, do you believe we should be paying taxes to the government when it's not our government? And so... Jesus perceived their wickedness. 
In other words, Jesus perceived the nature of the question. The question he, he realized very quickly, the question was not whether or not you should pay taxes. The question is whether or not we can get you to say something against Rome so Rome comes against you. We have not been successful in tripping you up. So we need you to say something that will turn the Romans on you and then we won't have to worry about you. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, people can be very shrewd, but fear not because God knows their hearts. Amen. Somebody told me they was trying to get rid of me one time. And you know what I did? Nothing. Because you can't get rid of me. Come on. (laughs) You can't get rid of me. (laughs) If God puts me somewhere, you cannot get rid of me. If God puts me in a place, you can't get rid of me. Now, I can get rid of myself. But you can't get rid of me. Amen. That's why why they're trying to trip Jesus up, because all their efforts have been unsuccessful in getting rid of Jesus. And you need to know that about yourself, that when you're in Christ, you're invincible. (laughs) One more time. When you're in Christ, you're invincible. (laughs) amen when you're in Christ and you're where you're supposed to be nobody can pull you out of that place you're there because God sends you places and when God sends you somewhere nobody can get rid of you amen that's why I don't fight people people talk I don't fight with people at work I don't fight them I used to get mad I still get upset sometimes But I've learned how to not let my upsetness drive me into then feeding into the Pharisees getting me to say something against Caesar. (laughs) Amen. Because sometimes folks are just trying to get you to use your mouth and hurt yourself. Amen. (laughs) What you think about the boss? I think he's the boss. (laughs) I think I'm here to make him look good. Yep. Somebody hired me. They, somebody, the people told me, they said, you know what? I'm glad you're here, but the, the boss you got, they the, hatch, they the hatchet person for the whole organization. And so when I went in to meet with them, I sat down and they started talking to me. And I said, well, let me tell you this. I said, my responsibility is make you look good. Because that is my responsibility. My responsibility is make my, make my boss shine like a light bulb in the darkness. That's my job. That's my response. My responsibility is whoever I am serving is to make them look good. Amen. And guess what? And let them take the credit for your ideas. Because this is what I learned. If you take credit for my idea and you go tell everybody it was your idea, when they ask you for another one, you ain't got another one. Amen. Because you didn't have the first one. Amen. (laughs) Amen. All right, let's get, let's go further here. I'm I'm, I'm about to tangent here. Amen. He perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Why are you testing me? Why are you threatened by me? Why do you feel the need to threaten me? Why do, you, why do you feel that need that I'm here as a threat to you? Why are you testing me? 
show me the tax money. So he pulled out, they pulled out the money, right? They pulled out the money. And Jesus asked a simple question. They brought him a denarius and he said to them, whose image and inscription is on this money? Now we all look at money and we see for the most part, presidents of the United States on money, right? Few exceptions, but for the most part, that's what we find. Which speaks to us and says that when it comes to money, money belongs to the nation. Money does not belong to you. Money belongs to whose face is on the money. You're using the money. But you don't own the money. Money is like a car lease. You're going to drive it for a period of time, but then you're going to have to give it back. Amen. Which is why the nation is free to tax you. Because the money belongs to them. The money is backed by gold, which the United States government holds in various places. And we've all heard of Fort Knox. One of those repositories for money is that. Money belongs to whoever's face is on the money. That's why they get to put their face on the money and not your face on the money. <laughs> Whose image and inscription is this? Next verse. They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. They figured that there was no way he was going to have an answer for their issue. This is really important here because this points out two things. They're intending to, to, to catch him in one thing, but he takes a teaching opportunity to provide something else to all of us. And that is that there are two distinct systems. There is the system that belongs to Caesar and there's the system that belongs to God. And we participate in Caesar's system because you live in this nation. Because I live in the United States, I participate in the dollar system. The dollar system. This money belongs to the government, but because I have traded for the money, I now have this access to this money, which allows me to find other people who are trading within the same system and exchange these dollars that belong to the nation for services or resources that someone in else has sown into the system. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. Tracy, how much money you got in your pocket? <laughs> Amen. All right. Who's got, a, who's got some money in their pocket? Who's got, who's got some cash? Pastor Edward got a big old stack in his pocket. Amen. <laughs> come, come, come here, please. You know he got a stack. He got a money clip. You know, I, Tim on. Come on. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to give you a 20. You give me a 20. I'm going to give you, okay, we're going to swap, swap ones. There we go. <laughs> I'm going to give you one. You gave me one. All right, so what, what just happened? We did an exchange, right? 
He had some, I had some of equal value. We gave it to each other, right? So now I'm going to say, I'm going to give you this 20. And you give, <laughs> you give me something in return. Gave me a stack, right? All right. So now we just did an exchange. Is the value equal? We don't know if the value is equal. Okay? That's the big point I want you to get. We're not always changing, ex exchanging equal value for things. In other words, you go to work and you sow into work. The, sow, the, the, the seeds you sow into work bring a monetary harvest. But the person next to you may be sowing five times less than you and getting the same harvest. Do you understand, right? We all know. How many of y'all been there? All right. So we've been there. We understand that. So money does not guarantee equal value because everybody doesn't paying the same for whatever is exchanged. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate it. Now, with the understanding, because you, under, you have to get this clear, with the understanding that money cannot provide equal value. It seems equal, but it's not equal. And I told you last week, if I took my house that I live in Vallejo, I have a wonderful house. I love my house. But if I took my house and I pulled it up out of the roots and I moved my house down to Silicon Valley, my house would be worth, I don't know how much more than it is now. Because it's, not, it's the same thing in a different environment has a different value. Right? So that means money is not equally exchanged. It can't be because money is man's system. And it goes by man's rules. And man's rules sometimes will exclude people from equations. Amen. You can live in a certain zip code and have a certain amount of money to pay down on a house. And you go to the bank and they tell you no. You live in another zip code, you have the exact same amount of money, you put it down in the exact same house, they tell you yes. Why? Because it's man's system. Man's system has an imprint of the sin nature on it. And because the man's system has an imprint of the sin nature on it, it automatically is corrupted. Amen. So Jesus told him, he said, listen, you're going to have to give Caesar what's due to Caesar. But then you can't forget you need to give God what's God's. Give Caesar what he wants. If Caesar wants your money, give it to him. If, see, if you're trading a Caesar system, follow the rules. When it comes tax time, pay your taxes. Amen. When you got to buy stuff, have money. Go to work. Do what you're supposed to do. But all those things, you must, in the middle of that, remember that ultimately you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And because you are, there is a whole nother system that you operate in. And if Caesar says no, God can still say yes. Amen. Caesar can tell you no and God can still say yes. Because it's not Caesar's final decision on all things. Amen? So, understand this. When you are working in Caesar's system, we believe sometimes that Caesar's only dealing with your money, but he's not. He's dealing with your identity. Because Caesar wants to put you 
into a box. And Caesar wants you to start believing that the box is the boundary of your life. When my Bible told me, guard my heart with all diligence because out of my heart will come the boundaries of my life. Amen. He didn't say Caesar gets to make the boundaries to my life. He said, out of my heart is going to come the boundaries, the fences of my life. Amen. But I have seen over and over again, because I happened to work in an environment where I was doing, uh, 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 working with people who had been displaced from jobs, working with job placement with them. And I would see over and over again where people's identity would have been wrapped up into their work or their occupation, and they could not see themselves moving into any other arena because Caesar had created a box around them. Caesar had told them, all you're able to do is this, and your value is this. And when we would we'd minister to them and say, hey, listen, let's talk about what, what do you feel like your, your, your life calling is? They said, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know why. Why are you here? I don't know why I'm here. And people would be struggling with their identity, not understanding Caesar has put an imprint on you. And we got to break Caesar's imprint. We have to break Caesar's imprint by renewing of your mind so that when your mind is clear, God will be able to speak to you and tell you which way to go and what you can do. Amen. Open your book to Isaiah chapter 48, verse 17. Isaiah 48 and 17. Hallelujah. It's not in the deck. Isaiah 48, verse 17. We're going to actually start at verse 16. Verse 16 says, come near to me. Hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. God said, listen, guess what? Everybody says I'm a mystery, but I'm not talking in secret. <laughs> Amen. You know, people used to, when I was a kid, I used to hear parents say, you know, God got mysterious ways. How many of you heard God got mysterious ways? Amen. <laughs> but God himself says, I'm not talking in secret. Amen. From the beginning, I haven't been talking in secret. Amen. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. Verse 17, thus says the Lord, your redeemer. A redeemer is one who buys something back. Amen. Redeemer is one who buys something or acquires something back that was lost or taken away. He said, I'm your redeemer. He said, you were lost, but I bought you back. Amen. Come on. My wife and I, we, uh, we, uh, we at our previous church, we would be, a lot of times we'd be the last people at church, you know, doing, just working around the church, whatever. And so we look up and there's a little kid standing there. He said, where are your parents at? child got left behind so we got the child took the child to the house and they said oh lord we realized they was missing this particular family has several kids and they didn't you know things happen okay and i'm not being critical of them things do happen amen come on you got you 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 little jimmy getting on the everlasting last nerve you're so focused on jimmy you left Susie. It happens. Things can happen, right? 
So we take the child home and the parents, oh, they're grateful to have the child redeemed. Now for them, they didn't realize he was lost. But the child, what if they, what if they didn't know the child was lost? How would they feel if what was lost has been redeemed? Amen. See, we think God is angry at us, but God is all the time trying to redeem us. God's trying to redeem us. And if you understand your identity is stuck and placed in the reality that God is redeeming you, then your thought about who God is and how God lives and how God works through you will be different than if you think God is trying to exclude you. And many times we taught people that God is trying to exclude you. But the fact of the matter is, we were born flawed. You were born lost. You were born unredeemed. Amen. But now Christ has come and he has redeemed us from the curse of the law and has brought us into the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ. He said, behold, I am the redeemer, the Lord, your redeemer. Tell your neighbor, say, I've been redeemed and I'm glad about it. Come on. The Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God. He said, I'm not talking to strangers. He said, I'm the Lord, your God. I redeemed you, which makes me your God. I'm your God. I'm talking to you. Woo, hallelujah. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit. In other words, God says, I want, to me- I want to teach you how to become a profitable individual. Amen. Remember, profitable does not mean money. Profitable means productive. I'm trying to make you a productive person. I'm trying to make you productive. See, money will limit your mind. But productivity will allow you to be free. Amen. Mm, come on. Listen. <laughs> If I hire somebody and I say, listen, I'm going to pay you $12 an hour to come by my house and I want you to paint the house and then I want you to fix the hot water heater and then I want you to do this and this and this and that. And they say, wait a minute, 12, 24, 30, wait, how much money are you going to pay me? Well, I expect it all to be done at the end of the day. They're going to say, wait a minute, man, for $12? Yeah, $12, that's what I'm going to pay you. These will be the words that will come out of mouth. I'm worth more than that. My time is worth more than that. How many of y'all ever thought to yourself, my time is worth more than that? I know they ain't trying to. (laughs) Because we have a mindset. We have been taught in this Caesar system that time, our time, and money are correlated And because they're correlated, I will only do something for a certain amount of money. Amen? I'm only doing so much for so much money. Amen? Because my time and my money are connected. Amen? And if you're trying to get me to do something for less than I'm worth, I'm not doing it. Because my time is valuable. (laughs) But what happens if your time is actually more valuable than you think? What if all the time you've been trying to do something for a certain amount of money only to find out 
That was a limitation you imposed on yourself. And so we sometimes are on this balance of productivity versus money. And we gauge things based on that, not recognizing it's not how much money you get for something. It's your productivity, because if you work as unto the Lord, you got Lord God, who is the producer and the redeemer to pay you back rather than people. Because people can't never pay you what you're worth. Amen. I can't I can I can do a lot of stuff for my wife, but I can't pay my wife the value of her. Oh, she's a bad. She said amen too fast for that. <laughs> amen. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't pay this woman for the value she's been to me over my course of my life. I can't even, I, I can't, I don't have enough. So if my, my, my ability to reward her was based on my capability, she would say, deuces partner. <laughs> You're not giving me what I'm worth. <laughs> Amen. But our relationship isn't based on money. Our relationship is based on a love covenant which money can't buy or replace. And so when we have been up or down, it hasn't phased our covenant because it's not based on money because it's not a money system. Amen. Because it's not a money system, money doesn't phase us. Now, if I have money, it belongs to her. So money's in the system, but money doesn't govern the system. Amen. Come on. What's governing your system? What's governing your life system right now? Is, is money governing your life system or is something else governing your life system? How do you make your decisions? Do you make your decisions based on what Caesar says or do you make your decisions based on what God says? That is the question that we have to have. And when we find ourselves, that is the point of renewing our mind, of getting our mind renewed to the word of God and saying, God, what have you spoken to me? What should I do in the moment? God said, I'm going to teach you how to profit. And it has nothing to do with money. I'm going to teach you how to use your gifts and talents. I'm going to teach you how to activate toward needs and not toward where the money is. Woo. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I heard two pastors talking. And one of them said something. And uh, I don't want to say this. I'm trying to figure out the best way to say it. English is a good way to say it, yes. So, two pastors are talking. One says, hey man, did you see? Oh man, I'm, trying not to, I'm not trying to, trying to call names is what I'm trying not to do. One says, did you see this event over here? So the two pastors in a town, there's an event that happens in their town. One pastor asks the other, did you see this event is coming? The other one said, I ain't have nothing to do with that because that's going to mess with my. It's the easiest way I can say it. Because perception, perception, perception in sometimes our hearts and minds is that people who are with us owe us things. 
Nobody owes an offering. Nobody owes an offering. An offering is a gift that we give out of our hearts in expression of our gratitude to God, to the place that we all come together and worship God. That's what an offering is. I'm not owed an offering. This church is not my possession. I can't own the church. Amen? And so because I don't own the church, I don't receive a salary from the church. Now, you should not muzzle the ox that treads the corn. That's what the word says, right? So if someone's laboring, you should not muzzle them and say, well, pastor shouldn't get a salary. No, God just told me not to. Not that pastors shouldn't get salaries. Because I'm telling you what, spend three days in a pastor, as a pastor, you'll be asking for a salary. <laughs> Amen. And I guarantee you, they can't pay you what you're worth. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So understand what I'm saying. God's saying, I'm the redeemer. And I'm going to teach you how to profit and show you the way that you should go. I'm going to, in other words, I'm going to teach you some things to become a productive individual. Then I'm going to show you where to sow your productivity. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, I am a productive person. Amen. Amen. All right, let me get, let me get to the next level here where I was trying to go. Praise the Lord. Uh, go back to Matthew uh, where we were in Matthew 22. Kingdom supply. So we're in this area where we've been talking about the journey of God, the journey that God has all of us on. And we've been talking specifically about an, a fifth area of prosperity, which is kingdom supply, that God supplies for our needs. He manifests himself as Jehovah Jireh. God's character is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. He is the provider. He's the one that provides. But God doesn't provide for us by giving us money. Because money is man's system. It's not God's system. And so we looked at the widows. Remember we a couple of weeks ago, we took a look at two widows in the books of, of Kings. And we found one widow who Elisha the prophet came to and he asked her a question. She came to him and said, my husband, your servant has died. And when he died, he left me and our family with debt. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons as slaves to pay off the debt. So, master, what are you going to do? He didn't say, let me reach in my pocket and give you money to pay off your debts. Because money is not God's system. I can't say that enough. He did not reach in his pocket and give the woman money. He gave her a kingdom answer. He gave her a kingdom solution. And so when we're in tough, difficult situations, don't ask God for money. Ask God for kingdom solutions to your problems. God, I need a kingdom solution to my problem right now. Money is not what I need. I need a solution from you. Because I'm going to tell you what, somebody can send you money. Listen, you, you say, Lord, send some money, and money falls out the sky. You, you pray it and look up, and, and there's dollars coming down out the sky. 
I guarantee you somebody's looking for them dollars. Wherever it fell from, somebody's looking for it. It's not your money. And somebody, somebody dropped a bag and the money fell out and they're looking for the money and they're going to find you. <laughs> they want their money back. Amen. <laughs> so if you ever mind your business somewhere and money falls out the sky, just know God didn't drop it. <laughs> Amen. It might have some strings attached to it. So, <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. I'm in my own, I'm in my own imagination right now. Kingdom supply. When the widow has told him what her problem is, he says, what's in your house? Amen. What do you already have? What's in your house? Actually, let's, let's go to that. Second um, Kings chapter four. Second Kings chapter four. Let's go there. I can't get all to the, all of this today. But I want to I want to I want to share something with you. The Lord gave, brought something to my remembrance when I was studying this. Second Kings chapter four. We're going to go to verse two. A certain woman of the wives of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. No greater fright for a mother than to think her children are going to be taken away from her. Man, that's hard. That's a very deep, deep pain. You see it coming and you don't feel, you feel like you're powerless to stop it. Right? So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? His first thing isn't to jump in with, with sympathy for her. But in compassion, he starts to ask the right kind of questions. What do you have in your house? Because see, here's what we talked last week about mediums, people, things, or things being in between two things. And so Pastor Edward and I are exchanging. The money becomes a medium of exchange. But the way we both got the money was not through the exchange. It was through the labor behind our own lives. Our labor provided a resource which we were paid in an exchange and money became the exchange for our labor. But the money doesn't it doesn't represent what it took to get it. It's just the greed exchange. So he says here, he says, what do you have in your house? When we get in trouble, the first thing we need to ask God is, is actually take an inventory. What do I have, Lord? What do I have right now? <laughs> you'll be surprised what you have. Amen. Because God doesn't need something big for you to have. Because money is relative. <laughs> money is relative, so God doesn't need you to have something big. Because he can take something small and he can do great things with it. That's why I said, Lord, increase our faith. He said, nah, if you have faith like a mustard seed. All you need is a little faith and you'd be able to say, be thou removed and cast into the sea. She said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from 
all your neighbors, empty vessels. Don't just gather a few. Now, there's only a little bit of oil in the jar. So why does he tell her to go get a whole bunch of jars? Because you're going to tap into not the natural, but the supernatural. She's getting ready to tap into something bigger than what she understands it is. Tammy and I were at a conference a couple of years ago. And, and at this conference, there's a woman who was speaking. And she got up and her name was uh, uh, Folorosa uh, Alakine. She's a billionaire in Nigeria. And she was giving us her story about how she became a billionaire. And she told us she's the youngest of 13 children. And she was interested in fashion. And so what she did was she became a receptionist in this company that was, was working uh, in fashion industry. And then she went from there. She worked there for a while. And then she moved into the banking industry. And so while she was at the banking industry, she was still an administrative secretary. And while she was working there, one day she has a dialogue with her boss. And her, the boss's, the dialogue that she has with the boss in, in, in short summary here led to her giving her, the boss giving her a document. And that document was rights to ocean water. <laughs> so she was given the rights to this offshore water. And it turns out that the offshore water that he gave her rights to had a huge deposit of oil in it. <laughs> and her billions of dollars came from an administrative secretary giving, giving favor from someone and then having to now become an executive of an oil company. <laughs> Amen. So after years of battle, because once it's discovered that oil's on the land, they will know, how did you get this? How did you get access to this? And so Chevron battled with her for years. And after about 15 years, Chevron had to give it up. And they had to pay her. And she became a billionaire like that. Now, am I telling you you're going to become a billionaire? No. I'm telling you that the favor of the Lord can move you into places you do not expect that you can ever be. I'm telling you that if you can listen to God and be where God places you and do what God says to do. Now, why does she have favor with that individual? She characterized it with something that I've been saying a long time. She had a Daniel anointing. Amen. She had a Daniel anointing. And the Daniel anointing says, I'm a slave, but I don't act like one. And I'm not only doing not act like one, I have supernatural knowledge from God that my, my captors don't have. And because I have knowledge that they don't have, I'm going to sow knowledge into them and I'm going to cause them to be blessed because them being blessed will lead to me being blessed. And she activated this Daniel anointing with her boss, made her boss look good. And then all of a sudden, 
he now wanted to do something for her and gave her something that turned into billions of dollars. And there was not a dollar exchange between the two. Because you can't buy the favor of the Lord. <laughs> the favor of the Lord can only come when you are become pleasing to God and God makes others look at you and desire to have favor. Amen. <laughs> so here this woman is in the scripture and he says, and this is what triggered in my head. He says, what do you have? She says, all I've got is this little oil. That made me think about that billionaire. What do you got? I just got administrative skills. I just, all I got is administrative skills. And she sold the administrative skills and oil came out. <laughs> Amen. Woo, come on. What have you got in your house? And remember, your house is not just your physical house. Your house is this house that you live in. What do you have in this house? What do you have in this house that can be sown that will bring back a harvest? Amen. And it won't bring back a harvest of one to one. It always comes back 30, 60, 100 fold. Amen. Caesar system, you sow dollars for hours. Amen. Come on. In Caesar's system, you sow dollars or you sow hours, you get back dollars. What would happen if you sowed your gift and it just multiplied? What if your compassion, your love and your, your gifts and your talents, what if they were just sown without worrying about the monetary return, but they start getting sown because God says sow it in this land. And then all of a sudden you got back harvest from things you weren't even expecting to get. That's how the kingdom works. That's how the kingdom works. I was working this place and I was, it was, uh, again, not a great job. I went to work there for $28,000 a year. Now I was happy to get to 28. I take that back. I went to work there for 32. <laughs> I got a raise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went there to work for $32,000 a year. And at the end of my year, when I got to my appraisal, the HR director and my boss came and said, we're going to meet with you. And it's like, when you get a performance appraisal and you're making $32,000 a year and the HR director wants to talk to you, not a good look. <laughs> it didn't look good to me. I was like, oh man, what's wrong? Why does she want to talk to me? It's just, it's just an appraisal. They said, well, we just want to let you know you've been doing a great job, but we've been paying you too much. They're paying me too much. <laughs> <laughs> Do you all know how much you're paying me? You're paying me too much. What do you mean you paid me too much? I said, well, you know, you know, the job should have been for this much, but you've been getting paid this much. Like, all right. And I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for somebody to go, ah, surprise. I'm waiting for somebody to jump out and tell me it's a surprise. No surprise. It, no, it, was, serious. it was serious. And then she said, she slid a piece of paper. She said, you have four different payment plans you can pay us back on. You can pay us a lump sum. $4,000. Hey, are you serious? Or you can pay us over six months, or you can pay us over three months. You know, we'll give you some time to think about it. And I just, all, the only thing, only thing, a smile came on my face. They said, are you okay? I said, uh, yeah, I'm okay. 
And I went home and I had to pray. I said, Lord, what, what is, <laughs> Lord. And the Lord said, don't get angry. He said, I want you to write a letter. He said, but you got to get your anger out of you first. I released the anger and I wrote a letter justifying why, not why I shouldn't pay the money back, but I've given this amount of value to what I've done. This is what I've done. And I only talked about what I had done over the time. I didn't mention the money at all. And I just wrote the letter. I sent the letter in and I never heard nothing back. They didn't come try to get the money or anything. They just, I never heard anything back. But two years later, because remember, we're sowing seeds. Because the kingdom is not about the money exchange. The kingdom is about the seeds that we sow. God said, I'll show you how to profit, make you productive, and I'll show you which way to go. So he showed me the way to go. Don't sow anger right now. Because if you sow anger, you're going to get a harvest back of anger. So now you're going to sow facts and you're going to sow love. And so I wrote my letter and sent it in. Never heard nothing back. Two years later, I had an opportunity came up. And I went for the interview for this opportunity that was above where I should have been applying in the first place because I wasn't qualified. And I went in and the person who's interviewing said, you know what? About two years ago, I got a letter from you. Because I always wanted to know, who is this guy? He said, because I read the letter and it was so, it was well written. It was matter of fact. It was um, no anger whatsoever. He said, I wanted to know who you were. He said, that's why I gave you an interview. In other words, I wasn't qualified, but the door was open because I sowed seeds. That had nothing to do with the money. I separated the money from my sowing of my gifts and talents. And so that opened the door so that when this now opportunity comes, I get favor going in the door that I should not be able to go in because of what God showed me to do. He showed me how to profit. He showed me the way to go. And so I followed the way he went, the way he told me to go when it looked like it, 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 I should just express myself. Say what, just say your mind. They wrong. They know they wrong. But it opened the door for me to step into a place I shouldn't have been able to step. And he hired me and gave me favor. And when I went in that door and I had favor, all of a sudden, I was a 32-year-old young man controlling millions of dollars and resources. Because the Daniel anointing had hit me. And the favor of the Lord had come on my life. And he put me somewhere I wasn't trained to be. But he had given me wisdom to do what I needed to do. Amen. Listen. Kingdom supply works when we work it. Amen. You want to be a people of favor that walk in what God says to walk in. Amen. I don't have time to go further right now. I want to just close with this. Um, we talked about this widow. And the last point I want to make about the widow uh, is that. Let me pull it up here. It's a point I want to read to you. I want to make sure you get it. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, say, I am filled 
with redemption. And I am able to do whatever God gives me to do. Here's the points I want to give you real quick. The revelation of the oil. First question is, what do you have in your house? You need to take an inventory. Proverbs 27 uh, tells you that you should know the estate of your flocks. Know the estate of your flocks. You should know what's in your house. You should take an inventory. What do you have in your house? Amen. You should be aware. And don't look at what you have in your house as a limitation. All I have is, that's the mistake the lady made. She said, all I got is this oil. He didn't say, well, come on. You got to come up with better than that. That's all we need. All we need is what you have. Mm, Come on. All you need is what you have. Amen. Come on. You already have something of value, which is the oil. Number two, there's enough oil in that jar to pay for debts you got and deal with your issues. Amen. In other words, you got enough in your house to deal with what you got. Amen. Number three. You are capable, and I talked about this last week, you're capable of being an instrument of blessing. You are. And that's what you have to get your mind renewed to. You have to recognize it doesn't make a difference how little you think you have. You got enough to be a blessing. You have enough to be a blessing to others. And when you start to recognize that God's hand is on you to be a blessing, your blessing is most often in you becoming a blessing. Amen. When I stopped thinking that I was under a bad situation, I'm a young guy, I got these kids, (laughs) I'm working this low-paying job. When I, when I got out of that and I started saying, no, I'm a man who's blessed. I can sow, I can reap, I got things going on for me. Guess what? Come on. When I got to that mindset, then all of a sudden doors started opening for me. Because all of a sudden, my, my poor mouth got shut. Because I was blocking my own blessings. So I had to turn my mouth around. I had to turn my own confession around and start believing that if God is with me, that's enough. If God is with me, he can get me through this. If God can with me, he'll give me favor. Amen. My, one, of my, one of my kids was looking for a job and they were getting a lot of no's, getting a lot of no's, getting a lot of no's. I said, all you need is one yes. Don't get frustrated because you got a lot of no's. That don't mean nothing. That's just not, that ain't the right door. Amen. Keep walking to the next door. Where's the next door? Praise the Lord. Where's the next door? God must want me to get my steps in. <laughs> going from place to place. He just might need me to get my steps in while I'm looking for the right opportunity. And when I get the right opportunity, go in the door and be a Daniel. Go in the door and be a blessing. Because when you go in the door and be a blessing, guess what? A man's gift will... <laughs> your gift will make room for you. Amen. Amen. People might hate your skin color. But can't let you go because you're supposed to be there. Amen. <laughs> people may not like your shoes you wear in the, in the office every day guess what what are those but I'm here amen come on <laughs> amen you may not like my shoes but that's okay I'm here can't get rid of me amen because I'm here because God sent me here amen I'm here to be a blessing if you don't like me or you don't like God that's okay I'm not here to I'm not here to tell you about God I'm here to illustrate how God lives amen I'm here to be a blessing amen I'm not here for you to bless me. I'm here to be the blessing. God will bless me when I bless you. Amen. 
Hallelujah. That's all we can. I can't go no further. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's stand on our feet. Hallelujah. Big takeaway. Big takeaway from today. Know what's in your house. Know what's in your house. What's in your house is more than enough to deal with whatever God has for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you. Thank you for listening to today's message titled, What is in Your House? from the Kingdom Supply segment of our series titled The Journey. For more information about Abundant Life Worship Center, please feel free to check out our website at AbundantLifeWorship.net. On our site, you're going to find more information about us, our church and events calendar, and other messages that may be of interest to you. On our media page, you can catch our live stream worship service, which is broadcast every Sunday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Once again, the site is AbundantLifeWorship.net. Now, if you'd like to join us for any of our live services, please click on the About Us tab on the website and get service times and directions. You can also find us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash AbundantLifeWorship.net. God bless. We look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. And until then, please remember that Jesus came to give you life and that more abundantly.